Hello, and welcome to The Coach's Corner, brought to you by The Endurance Lab, where the coaches from the lab recap the week and answer your questions from the forum. My name's Jason Flores, one of The Endurance Lab coaches, and I'm joined by Tia Friedstead, Ian Murray, and Mitch Dangerman. Good morning, coaches. Good morning. Good morning. Lots and lots of things going on in the lab, lots and lots of things going on with the coaches. We're going to jump straight into the lab today. We've got some great conversation, got some great stories to go through. So we have had... Um, a pretty decent week. I know a lot of our riders have cut it back a little bit, and it's not their first time at the rodeo for the recovery week. So I'm hoping everybody is on task and making sure things are getting done. We're going to go straight over to, um, we'll actually do um, skills qu really quickly here. Um, Taya is going to give us a rundown of what our riders were doing in the lab this week. So we had the recovery week starting off with uh, high cadence work, which, as you know, is... Um, one of the uh, fundamentals of our labs here. And uh, as a lab writer, you have done this quite a bit. We had a little bit higher, not higher, but longer intervals for the high cadence drills this week. And then we brought in the seated and standing sprints. So it was a workout designed to work on your ability to sprint in and out of the saddle with plenty of rest in between. Uh, given that this is a recovery week and that's the focus of that workout. And then the uh, third one was the 12-4-3 um, time trial uh, workout where we work on uh, preparing for time trials, but also working on muscular endurance. Um, and then, of course, we had the other endurance rides in between those. Really, really solid work um, as we normally do during a recovery week. As these high cadence numbers get up to, um, you know, the four minutes with three minutes off, um, really fine tuning um, that high neuromuscular side of things. Um, really good for, you know, leg opening, making sure that you can make it up to that 110 cadence or just that above your normal range. If your normal range is 85, 90, just push yourself up. It will activate those pathways to make sure you're getting what you need. As far as sprinting, sometimes it can be tough. Um, but working on sprints, it doesn't necessarily need to be an all-out thrash um, on top of the handlebars um, on the trainer. It can be difficult for some setups. So even just doing um, increased power sprints while you're, seat, while you're seated can be very, very useful. So very, very good for this week. Um, really getting that top end opened up um, to really make sure that um, the legs have a chance to kind of use that workout since we don't normally hit those too much um, during our, uh, our regular uh, on weeks. All right, and on the strength and multi-sport side, um, we did have a good amount of um, um, movements on that end, um, so Ian's got that for us. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, we've got a, a number of things going on through our uh, recovery week side of the house. We had a recovery week stretching and core activities that we normally do, um, pretty light, but trying to keep the body moving and focusing on keeping that strong core. Um, however, upcoming, we've got the leg crusher three and the full body Tabata, so that should... Uh, should pose to be a lot of fun for everybody. I know I really enjoy the leg crusher three. Um, mm -hmm. It definitely helps me walk around a lot better the rest of the day. <laughs> two days, uh, two days usually, two days. Yeah, for two days. Um, so I really enjoy that one. And then we have on the multi-sport side, we did a uh, nice little two by four by 400 descending. So it was um, two sets of four by 400 and you got faster each repetition. So it, it was definitely one that just helped you open things up and you had to push through a little bit of fatigue on the last uh, last iteration of each of each set. So it was 
definitely great. Um, and in some ways, we're focused really on those recovery efforts to try and get the body back into being able to go into the hard efforts, which we've got coming up this week. Uh, we did, uh, we've got coming up this week, six by one K on the track and over under SST run, basically. Now, for those who are running with power, this is much easier to do. For those not running with power, it's a little trickier, but it's you can manage it with your pace and heart rate. But their goal is much much like we do on the bike. You're pushing above and then coming below, but you're not really recovering. That's why it's only you know little. It's it's over an hour workout, but it's definitely one of those that will help you simulate and uh, some of those surges that happen in a 10k or a half marathon. So. You're going to get your body working through some of those harder efforts and being able to recover at effort vice during the walk recovery that we normally do on a track. Um, and then in the pool, we're going to have one of my favorite workouts, which is the three by one K. That's it's it's tough as you you have to pace yourself because if you overcook early in the one K, you will definitely struggle. And uh, the third one becomes very difficult if you overcook the first two. Um, so ideally, if you can do this right, you're going to get a few seconds faster each 1K and really try and keep that steady pace the whole way. And then 24, 24 by 50 speed is just really you're going out and wailing away at the water for about 40 minutes. Um, for really, really good technique swimmers, this is a really fun workout for the rest of us. People wonder if we're drowning. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, as definitely, um, you know, being uh, being a little bit foreign to – the um the swim the swim portions of these um seeing kind of all the little intricacies and kind of little things that you can do to kind of you know work it in I think is pretty awesome. So well, really interesting. interesting thing, Jason, and one of the reasons we I like to do speed and some some distance intervals is because you know you have to really focus on maintaining good proper technique while you're uh -huh. trying to go faster. Because I found for those of us with adult onset swimming disease, um, when you try to go fast, you tend to lose your technique. And then the I can see on, that. When you same on all these distance um, efforts, you, as you get tired, you lose technique. So it's it's pretty easy to hold technique for a two or four hundred at steady pace, but when you're really trying to wail away at a fifty or you're eight hundred fifty meters into a thousand at threshold effort, you, know, you really have to focus on that form and that technique. You really need to get that good uh, front catch, that good uh, high elbow in there, and in that rotation, or else you're just gonna start having that bob and weave with your legs up and down and awesome. uh, you start getting passed by the uh, eight-year-olds. <laughs> Speaking of fast eight-year-olds, we've got a uh, Mitch Dagerman here on the, on the line and he's got, he's got a really uh, up-and-coming uh, youngster on, on his side, but he uh, is going to uh, present to us a topic here that should be quite, quite interesting um, here as we talk about hot topics in the lab. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to Mitch. He's going to introduce the topic. Um, he's going to bring us through it. But um, Mitch, you there? Yeah, I'm here. So all right, there you go. You know, yeah. you know what's interesting <laughs> is is when you sit back and you, and you self reflect sometimes, especially as you get older, you realize, in my case, especially like when we we're out in Phoenix and everything, I'm not the strongest guy in the bike. I'm I'm not going to probably win the Criterium. I'm not winning the gravel race. But how do I, you know, how do I or how do other athletes? How do you handle those situations where? you're not going to like win the medal, right? Or you're, you're not going to come in first in the race. How do you handle the comparisons of yourself against other athletes and still stay motivated uh, to keep doing the work and to keep in the game? Um, what's interesting is I found a, a great article and it was written really from the perspective of Olympic athletes. 
because uh, when you go to the Olympics, you've got, obviously, in swimming, let's say, you've got Michael Phelps, right? Michael Phelps knew he was going to medal or he's going to come close. But what about that guy from some country that no one's probably heard of and they've never heard of the guy and he knows because he knows the swim times, he's not even going to get close to that podium. So what keeps those athletes going? Um, there's a great book written by a guy named Jonathan Fader. He's a sports psychologist. It's called Life is Sport. Um, he walks through a lot of these concepts that we can use in our daily training and daily life to really handle these situations to keep ourselves going and to keep us motivated to become the best self that we can become. Um, so what he talks about, one of the things is that one of the best predictors in sports and in life for success is confidence. And confidence is the expectation that you will succeed. Um, and it really reflects the sum of thoughts that we have about ourselves. So if you look at successful athletes, they don't let jealousy or competitiveness affect their confidence. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's a, it's a key kind of difference that the first thought when you see someone better than you, sometimes we can slip into, you know, I just don't have that, right? I'm not as strong. I'm not as fast. But really what we should be saying to ourselves is, how can I learn from that? So when I see a really successful athlete, when I'm cycling with Justin Wagner, I should be saying, how can I learn from Justin to become better and to become faster and stronger myself? Um, but what you don't want to do is get into direct comparisons that hold you back, right? You only want to have a comparison between yourself and another athlete or another situation when it can actually motivate you. So you've got to focus that competitiveness inward and define success as something that's achieved independently from outside sanctions. So what that means is, your success is not whether you came in first, second, or third, but your success is some other value. So my 10-minute power in this race was an improvement over my last 10-minute power, or I really did that last swim set better than I've done them in the past. So you should be having a goal to be your best self, right, rather than being better than someone else. Some other strategies that he maintains or, or outlines in this book is that you really just need to shut up and practice, or I adapt that to mean shut up and train. Um, so use other success so you know you want to be better because you're looking at other people, but use that to push yourself to do better. And one of the ways to do that is break down your ultimate goal into numerous individual tasks. And I think of that almost as a training plan, right? So succeed at those tasks and the ultimate goal can be reachable. And then focus on your work. Strive to get better at your training. Strive to get better at your sets and your individual workouts. And the motivation will come. So I may be looking at this half marathon I have in October and just lacking the motivation to really get there. But if you get into the training, you start doing the training regularly, the motivation will come. It's almost like when you go to that party you don't want to go to, and then you end up staying hours and hours because it's uh, – Because they have ABBA comes on and you can't not ABBA. <laughs> you can't not dance. <laughs> there you go. Then he goes through a few things, and actually I find these interesting because I don't do them enough, and actually I think they could help me. Yeah, let me about, talk to you there for a second. Yeah. To really highlight that point of uh, focusing on yourself and your own training, right? Because you cannot control what's outside of what you exactly. do. Exactly. You can't yeah. control the other athletes. You can't control the environment. You can't. So it's really what you can do for yourself. And as, as long as you, and this is where, you know, focusing on yourself only is the way to go, right? In other parts of life, you might say, no, you focus on others and, and all that, but this is where you do what you can for yourself, and mm -hmm. yeah, and do your best out there. Yeah, and I think I think that translates into life as well, Taya. I mean, 
you know, in the workplace, we're all compared against each other and, and, and you want to be the best. But maybe if you're in a sales environment, maybe you're just not the best sales guy, but you can certainly be better than you were last week. You can always improve. Everything we do, parenting, right? Parenting is one of the hardest things in the world. Some of us know that. Um, <laughs> not all of us. And you can always, you can always, no, always try to get better. <laughs> yes, yeah, some aren't that crazy. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's a valid point, right? You're always competing with yourself and you're always working to get better yourself. And I think if you do that, things are always going to be better in the long run. Yeah. Um, and I think Taya probably knows some of these next ones because I think Taya does this quite frequently. But the next subject is really... is is to talk to yourself and there's three main ways that he says in in athletics and training we can really talk to ourselves the first is it's called objective optimism so instead of looking for negative statements about oneself that aren't based on evidence you need to replace them with realistic positive statements such as you know i i just really smoked that climb or i know i can do well for three minutes um the next one is, is called centering self-talk, which consists of using sentences like just this pitch or just this routine. And the idea is to forget about the long-term success for a minute, like in a race, and just focus on the individual performance. I think Ian did this recently, or someone I know in the lab had talked about they're doing a run or a race, and they're really just focusing on the next minute, and then the next minute, and the next minute, and just really broke it down into, I can do this for a minute, instead of thinking I have to do this for 10 or 15 more minutes. Yeah, I just did it. I just did it this week on my long run where I had no water. Um, yeah, it was yeah. about a thousand oh. degrees. Oh yeah, because my, my water fountains were broken. So it was just all right. I just need to run until this point, and we'll get through this heat, and we'll get into the shade, and we can walk. And you get to that point, you're like, okay, I still feel okay. Let's just get to the next one. Let's just get keep going, and then you, you go as long as you can. And you just keep telling yourself, and you keep setting small goals that you can achieve. And when you achieve those small goals, it allows you to set those. Unfortunately, as time goes on, sometimes the goals get smaller and smaller. <laughs> you just got to do it. The last one is really called motivating self-talk. And I think this is um, where you have a short sentence that you're repeating themselves through the season, if you want to think of it that way, or, or for, you know, for the practice or during a performance. And it's a reminder of the real reason of what you do and why you do it. So it's, it may be that you wanted to um, improve your place in a race by a few percent and you just keep repeating that mantra through the year so you remind yourself of why are you doing this and motivate yourself to keep doing it and you can also use the um very helpful um sheet that nate last posted in the forum about your whys and really peeling that onion and yeah. why do you do it this is so we talked about the whys also in the last episode and the conversation is ongoing in the forum and there's a yeah take a look at that post because that's a, a very helpful sheet that helps you wow, really work through it yeah it's been a really ins- insightful conversation what was that yeah. now i say the other part too is i think mitch mitch hit the the most important point earlier is you know you got to train you got to practice you got to do your thing um because I, I do know some people that have great mantras and they're super positive about how awesome they are, and they train twice a week. Um, yeah. It's not really useful uh, when you do that. I mean, you're kind of setting yourself up for success. Or what they'll do is constantly realign their goals, um, and they, they're good about realigning them to reality to a certain extent. But they they'll set these lofty goals, and they're just never going to get there. Um, so some of that is just being being tough. You just have to get out and do it. 
you know, if, if you only trained when your training is easy and fun, then great, everybody would be a pro. Um, you know, if, if you could, if you could succeed like that, but you got to train through when it's really hard. And one of the, uh, I, I saw an article by the uh, coach of Katie Ledecky. Uh, for those who don't know who Katie Ledecky is, she's pretty much the greatest swimmer of all time. I don't think there was a question. I think that yeah. that's just a given. Yeah, I mean, she, she can compete with the guys to on some levels at the 1,500 and the 1,000 meter. Um, in fact, she's fast enough. She can, her 1,500 can well out swim my 1,000. Uh, <laughs> she's awesome. Uh, but she's a, she's a complete beast. But her coach talks, you know, gets hired to give talks about, you know, how to train people like that. And he's like, man, sometimes I want to just put up one slide and just says, Katie Ledecky works really hard and is tough as nails. <sighs> Thanks for the money. Because <laughs> that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah, it's just she's she works really, really, really hard. She outworks everybody, and then she's tough. That's that's it. And you know, so the the mantras, the all those things, those are those last half percent, those one percent. That how you get through it when it's really, really, really hard. You know, that's how you make yourself tougher. But you got to do the work. Yeah. And it's one of the things, you know, as coaches here in the endurance lab, um, you know, with the structure we have, you lean on, you know, a group that's able to one, support you for this last percent, but also to lay down that foundation um, that will keep you moving and keep you doing this honest work and making sure you're getting the skills that you need to improve upon um, those skills that you have. So just really great. So speaking of skills um, and sliding on over here to a couple of things that Ian's got on our, on our, um, on our docket today, um, a little bit um, that I saw on my uh, trip up um, our local mountains here with a, a local holiday, um, the roads were closed for a lot of our mountains to make sure there wasn't any fires. So that is typically open season for us, for all cyclists to um, head up to the mountains. So we got to share a couple roads with um, a couple hundred riders um, anything from uh, backwards helmets to a guy that forgot his jersey and only wore bibs. No, that's and, awesome. <laughs> and people coming up with way too little gear, thinking that 5334 and a 25-tooth cog was enough for like a 10% grade. So it was definitely fun. You were seeing things kind of all break down. But Ian's got some interesting talks here about just bike handling and different things. So I'll send it over to Ian. Ian. All right, thanks, Jason. Yeah, we we were talking in the forum quite a bit about about bike handling and being comfortable on the bike, and so I, w I just want to go over a few things about staying upright with bad road. And bad road can be anything from you know you just have literally bad tarmac where it's all broken up. There are some races like I did one in Texas. It was called Tunis Roubaix, where you're going over dirt and uh, really horrible road. It's country roads at times. Um, it could be because riders go down in front of you. Having a bike and a person on the ground in front of you is the definition of a bad road as well. <laughs> um, it's just not naturally bad. Um, the, uh, there's a lot of things you, you need to really focus on. And first and foremost is you have to look where you want to go. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Andrea, even though she's not here, she pointed out with horses, it's the same way. You know, wherever you're looking, that's where your bike's going to go. Um, it's, it's just the way it works out. You know, it's your, your natural tendency is for your body to follow your eyes. So you want to go there. And also along those same lines, if you're looking at whatever the issue is, you're not looking for a solution. You know, so it's, it's the same as anything in life. You just need to identify there's a problem and then look for a solution. So you identify there's a problem with the road and you're looking for a way out. And the way I like to equate this is be like Barry Sanders. 
And again, for those who maybe are a little on the younger side who don't know who Barry Sanders is, he's probably the greatest running back to ever play uh, American football. And his philosophy, because he, he was always great at breaking tackles, and he rarely ever got da- taken down on the first hit. Because his philosophy was, I'm going to make it through the first guy, so I need to focus on the second guy. And it's the same thing when you're riding through, whether it's bad road, a crash, or whatnot. You have to go, okay, I'm going to get through this first part. Now where's my next move? Because if you're already looking for the next move, you're looking where you need to have gone, and you're naturally going to follow that. And so it's really important to do with your eyes and your head what you need to do. Now, along those lines, once you, once you identify there's that problem, you have to look for the quickest and easiest line to safety. So that may be um, riding straight through. It may be moving left, maybe moving right. You may find it just kind of depends on what the road looks like. I, I had on the trail out here in Washington, D.C., a, uh, a bunch of roots had come up and, and just wrecked shop on that, tra- on that one section. And so I had to kind of find a safe line through at speed in my arrow bars uh, very quickly, a whole bunch of rooted up uh, trail. And that was problematic, but it worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, you had to, I just had to find it quick and go. And once you pick that line, you don't second guess, you go. Uh, if you second guess, you're going to go off a possibly good line onto a definitely bad line trying to get to a maybe good line. So pick it and go. you got to trust yourself. And then take the terrain type and the riders behind you in account. If you're in a group, and you're rolling into one of these really bad patches where it's going to cause a slowdown, you need to understand that because if you're rolling from tarmac to sand or mud, um, it's going to cause a massive reduction in your speed. And massive reduction in speed is okay for one or two riders behind you. But six or seven people behind you may not see that, and they may plow into you. And you may become the bad road. Um, So just... It, it, it figure you, know, you got to figure that out, and you got to look at it and make that decision really quick. But you definitely need to uh, take that into account. So if terrain is going to change on the line you're going to, you're going to may need to pedal harder, and you're going to need to push through it. Um, once you once you uh, see there's a potential for you to go down, or that it's going to be a rough road, don't brace. Once you ten, tense up, if you do go down, you're most likely going to break something. Uh, rigid muscles don't react smoothly, and they don't they don't uh, handle impact very well, and they can't uh, provide any buffer for you. Um, but more importantly, when you're really grip tight on that bar, when you have that death grip, that white knuckle, I'm going to die uh, because my teenage kid is driving type grip, <laughs> uh, you need to loosen that up a little bit because once you have that super tight grip, you can't adjust that. It's locked yeah. on there. So if you slide at all, it's gone. You're done. You're not going to have any more grip. You're just That's it. Whereas if you have a firm but not super tight grip, you can make small micro adjustments with your fingers and help support yourself better. Um, and micro adjustments within your palm. And you will have a much, much more absorptive ride because it's not going to transfer that energy shock directly from the bars up into your shoulders. Um, and you're going to be able to react better. Um, and that's the other part with those rigid muscles. You don't, if you're all tight, you're going to be herky jerky. You can't be fluid in your movements. So you definitely want to make sure you don't brace and don't tense up. Um, once you, we, we talked a little bit about it once you pick your line, but keep moving straight ahead. If you're on bad road, bad terrain, um, sand, mud, whatnot, if you try and make sharp turns and jerk around, you're definitely, you're probably gonna have your wheels come out from underneath you. So try and stay straight as, as best as possible. And then keep moving straight ahead because once, if you're at speed, you often can handle better than you can moving slow, especially if you're in loose terrain. 
Uh, if you haven't ridden in sand in a, in a road bike um, or very loose dirt, it's a lot of fun. Um, loose gravel, same thing. And if you've ever known, if you if you've done it, you'll know that as long as you stay straight and you're going fast or you're holding your speed, you can go right through it with almost no problems. You won't even sense it. But if you slow down or you try to turn and move, all of a sudden the bike just goes out of control. Yep. Uh, um, and likewise with bumps, if you're on cobblestones or just generally uh, chip seal road, uh, you actually handle the bumps better at speed uh, because you will just cruise over the top of them and there's not enough time for your wheel to drop into the, each little small gap. Now the caveat to that is if it's a big hole and it's the size of your rim, don't take those at speed. <laughs> uh, those you want to avoid or bunny hop if, you, if you're skilled enough to do that. But you don't want to take those at speed. Or same with speed bumps. You don't want to take the speed bump at in some places that live like speed mountains. You don't want to take those at at you know 45, 50 k an hour, or else you're just gonna be, you're gonna go down, or or have like what I had, and your arrow bars are gonna drop right in front of you because yeah. of that. You get uh, bucked off the bike too, right? You just get like thrown off the bike on the on the back on the second wheel. Something yeah, like that. it happens. It happens. Um, and, and so that's the other part of it too is. Um, I like to slightly come off my saddle when I'm, when I'm mm -hmm. on, if I think I'm going to hit a big bump so I can, I'm not coming completely off of it, but I come slightly off of it so I can help absorb a little bit of, right. this, of the saddle shock. Um, I definitely don't pin my butt to the saddle. Um, now if I'm doing the bumpy, uh, road, like cobblestone of the chip seal roads, I pin my butt to the saddle and I use that to help keep it stable. Um, and then lastly, remain calm, keep breathing. Um, you'd be surprised how many people just hold their breath and stop breathing. Well, mm -hmm. if you hold your breath and stop breathing, that's generally bad. Um, in the long run, you kind of need oxygen, but two, you tend to tense up when you do that. So if you can keep yourself breathing, you tend to be more relaxed. Um, don't make any panic movements. Uh, like I said before, herky jerky movements is not fluid and not fluid is the recipe for hitting the deck. So you want to be nice and relaxed and everything you're doing is a calm, deliberate, fluid movement. And then while you're going through the bad terrain or potentially maneuvering through the, the carnage of a crash, self-preservation is key. Focus on getting you through it first because if you're not through it, it doesn't matter for the restoration. You can't help a teammate if you're focused on a teammate if you go down as well. And so once you're safe, that's when you attack the rest of the riders. If anyone is slowed down, you just hammer the crowd. No, I'm kidding. You don't have a crash. <laughs> you, that's when you start worrying about how everyone is. You check on your teammates. You check on how everyone's doing. But you need to get through safely first, um, and then you can attack. Uh, but you, you want to worry about you and get through, get through safely, and then you can worry about everything else after that. Uh, we, always, we always say you know, in the Army that you're, you're not really any good to anybody if you, if you get yourself shot. So you need to make sure you're safe first and foremost. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think this speaks to any range, whether it's, you know, on your group ride on, you know, asphalt kind of safe stuff and something comes up, you know, construction or you guys are just going through kind of a loose a loose road type situation all the way to kind of stuff like, um, you know, Taya has um, told us stories of uh, with uh, gravel um, for those riders that we have in the lab that are doing like cyclocross, you know, later in the season. All of these tactics are very, very useful for that sort of thing. So. Really good, really good information. And all of that is learned through experience of generally doing what I said not to do. Exactly. Yeah, really the only way to practice exactly is to 
to have those situations, whether it's, you know, go to that park and try, you know, that little off camber, that little soft, soft sand, that sort of thing, and just get a feel for what's happening versus trying to do it at full speed. So you've got to put yourself out there for that so that you're not having to surprise yourself. So getting yourself and your bike set up, not the perfect setup, um, in, a, in the not so perfect situation, I think can definitely, you know, lead yourself to a little bit more confidence when the time comes. Yeah, most definitely on that. Also, all right, so let's move over. Um, so we have got a couple more topics here um, in the lab that have come up this week have been really, really interesting. Um, and as we get towards the later um, weeks in the lab, you know, questions always come up to know, um, you know, you go through the workouts, you're doing everything that you need to do. You know, questions like, you know, is what I'm doing making a difference? And uh, a lot of times we talk about not doing um, quantified tests with um, FTP and, you know, the things um, and that sort of thing. A lot of it is just nudging ourselves along and making sure that the workouts are doing what they need. Um, so today has got some really interesting topics. She's brought together some uh, conversation about, you know, questioning your training um, and your plans and kind of how you could decide that or how you can get a feel for um, if it's working for you. Thanks, Jason. That's right. So there is always tests that you can do, but even tests might not yeah. be reliable because, well, two things. One, FTP is really a fluctuating number. Absolutely. You know, here today, somewhere else tomorrow, it depends on so many different factors that are going on. It's just that one measurement that we use to, as a tool so we can um, prescribe workouts. But really, um, so many variables that can come in into doing the tests. And let's face it, 99.9% .9 of riders do not enjoy doing any kinds of tests whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, we as coaches help our athletes look at their workouts over time and look at patterns and numbers and trends and adjust their FTP accordingly without having to be testing every couple of weeks. So that aside, what are some of the things that you can look to to understand whether you're improving? Is this a good training for me? Is it working? Is it a good plan? So things to look at, for example, time, the time and speed. When you go do a, it can be as simple as the Sunday group ride that you always do. It can be a segment that you always go to, a climb that you might go back to, like we have one of our riders, Michelle, go back home and do a dreaded climb that she had uh, done a year before. And after the training, she went up that hill, no problem, you know? So those awesome. are the kinds of things that you look for and you look to, to understand whether you're improving or not. Um, you All of a sudden you're in that group ride on a Sunday doing long pulls and feeling super fresh even at the end and you're going faster. Uh, it can be, you know, I, I'll give a personal example. I'm able to hold now 20 miles per hour with much lower power than I used to before. Mm. What do I attribute that to? I attribute that to efficiency on the bike. Um, overall feeling during and after a long event. We had many athletes post recently in the forum saying, I've done this Grand Fondo, I've done this long event, um, 150K, et cetera, and I still had energy left in the tank to keep going, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a race. If it's a race, you hopefully you use all that tank. <laughs> exactly. But, right, but you look at your then, those things, um, they, maybe you're doing something you have never done before, uh, or you, you do it in a different way and it's a better way. Um, the other way, to, the other thing to look at is you're having enough recovery. 
So a plan is a good plan. If you work really hard, you're seeing those improvements, but you're fresh too. You are getting enough recovery so that you can go back and have quality workouts. Um, there are other things that can influence, of course, the quality of your workouts outside of training. We know that we've covered that before. It can be you know, life stresses or it can be your garden that you've been working on, etc. But overall, there is good recovery and you're following the plan. We also know that many times athletes like to go a little bit off plan and um, ride a little bit longer than, uh, and that's okay if you want to do that, but you have to then pay attention and take it back somewhere else so you're getting enough recovery. Right. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a funny, funny part right there, Tay. When I was, uh, this was back before the, all the Garmin days where everything was uploaded automatically and I had to put my own data into training peaks um, for my coach. She always knew when I was misbehaving and not sticking to the plan and usually on the track going too hard when it would be three days before I put the data in. <laughs> three days, she wouldn't be mad anymore. It wouldn't afraid yell at afraid, uh, afraid to upload your, your data. Yeah, uh, I could see that. Or not uploading at all. Oh, I'm just not going to not upload this one ride. Yeah. <laughs> this one 50-mile ride. Yeah, and, and so often we see plans um, speaking to kind of making sure the intensity is right and your freshness. So often we see plans that just drill people into the ground with intensity, um, and then people just burn out. And you could do it for a short period of time. Um, and if people are looking at quick fixes, you know, quick boosters, things like that, yeah. But for the long play, really, um, you know, slow, methodical, um, really skills-based, that's what's going to get um, riders to where they need. And th that's, what we, we, that's the approach that we take. Exactly. A harder workout does not mean a great workout. Yes. So just because it's hard and wears you down doesn't mean it's an awesome workout. So the other thing to, to take into account when you're looking at your training plan and understanding, is it good for me? Does the training consider you as a whole person? Because really improvements don't come only from a workout on the bike. You are a person, multifaceted, many things important in your life. So the results, it's, it's, it comes from other things that support what you do on the bike. Are you doing, you know, is there core work that we, like we have on the, in the lab here? Some stretching. So you're taking care of your body as a whole so you can be stronger and faster on the bike. Are you correcting imbalances? Is your plan, you know, are your coaches giving you guidance on how to improve on those imbalances or muscle uh, imbalances that you have? Do you work your upper body so that you're stronger in your sprint, you can handle your bike better? And then nutrition, of course, because that's what feeds your engine. Your engine is only going to work if you have some quality nutrition with you. So you get some advice on that regard as well. And finally, mental, because it's not only about, again, the muscles. You have the driver of your engine, which is your mind, and those, having those skills is also important. So having that support from your coaches and fellow athletes, is that helping you? So when you look at your plan and you're getting all of those things in, because you can, anyone can go and get a plan off the shelf somewhere and start hammering those workouts. But... There's all these other things that put together will make you a better athlete. And so and I, I think real quick on that, Tay, I think that's one of the big, big uh, differences when you look at just that off-the-shelf plan, vice, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching or vice what we do at the lab. You know, it, it's it's very difficult 
unless you're a very, very seasoned athlete with a very good um, support network already in place, to take an off-the-shelf plan and make sure everything is going right for you. Because then it just it, it doesn't take into account your life and you're just looking for hitting marks and targets based on uh, a plan that may be a good plan and may have worked in the past, but it doesn't necessarily fit with how things are now. You might be older, you might have less of a base, you might have more of a base. Um, you know, so th whereas you, when you look at the one-on-one -on -one coaching or the group format, you know, you're getting different feedback. You're getting an objective look at it. You're getting from someone who maybe doesn't know all of your circumstances, but at the same time might tell you, hey, it's time to suck it up a little bit and, and do the work. Um, and I've had to tell athletes when they, when they haven't been sticking to the plan, okay, we're going to sit down and reevaluate your goals for this race because you didn't do the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than left guessing. You're left guessing. Oh, but is this really good? Did I should I have done this? Should I do that? Should I not? You know, it's 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 yeah. So, um, and I would say in a nutshell here to conclude this topic, ask yourself: Are you learning more about the sport and yourself in the process? Yeah. Because if you I, are, then you're in the right track. Yeah, I think that's a good point because um, you know. As people get introduced to things like workouts, it can be very, very motivating to jump on and finish something. But to understand what you're learning from that, what you're gaining from that, um, is super important. It, you grow as an athlete. You grow, you know, both in your strength and your goals. So I think that is super important. You need to know if, um, you know, are you learning about what you're doing and why it's important for you versus just doing these hard workouts or doing these long rides or that sort of thing. What is it doing for you and your yourself and your fitness essentially. Right, right. So I had a question for you today on the, on the testing. I, are you telling me that you don't have a guy in a van who follows you around to draw blood at for, after lack of threshold? <laughs> test your threshold right there? Because, I mean, I know, I mean, when I wake up in the morning, the guy who makes my coffee um, helps me get it. The other guy cuts my food and helps me eat it. Um, and then the mechanic gives me my bike for me to go do my workout with the guys following yes. me around and the massage yeah. afterwards. This is, this, this is this is this is life and the chef. There's the chef. Life, life of an ITU world athlete. Oh, yeah. what it must be like. Yeah, well, Jason, that's you. Don't, you have no idea. I mean, I, I wish I was a professional triathlete because they literally make hundreds of dollars a year. Yes, uh, hundreds, hundreds of hundreds. Yes, hundreds. before expenses. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely what their lives are like. No, it it a lot of our sports, especially triathlete. Is, is super expensive and um, I think you need to find you know you know what makes you happy like if if that com that competition level you've heard our stories as coaches um, but as you as an athlete like what drives you you know obviously there's not a whole lot of you know you know money at the end of a crit you know your premiums are maybe a, a couple bucks a free set of socks I mean um, Taya has dipped her toes into um, crits and she's seen the premiums and they're just kind of silly things to make people go really hard and it'd be really dangerous yeah, some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we're very simple so, creatures we are we are you know but on that um we are in an esports world um and we recently saw a ten thousand dollar check given out to an esports winner so i mean it it we're on both sides of that spoon i mean you know it could it could also evolve into that and that's something super new that we all have our feet in um in esports racing um and so that that on the other side of it could be could be very very interesting yeah yeah. yeah, and I, I do want to add one more thing, you know, on this uh, topic we're talking about it, and I want to go back to talking with uh, working one on one with someone or working in a group. You know, as as I've been training, I've uh, three 
three of my athletes um, who are doing worlds with me. And uh, it's, it's funny because they're all at the same point I am of, I'm so tired of training. I just want to get yeah. this race done. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's also important because there's, there were parts of the training period where, you know, I had to talk them off the ledge or work with them to make, to show them where we were going. And they all had faith and understood. It was just that there's certain points of every long build plan. And, and we're talking, we've been building for five, six months for this because it's a longer, a longer course race that, you're going to question it where you're just tired because that's, that's how the plan works. You have to build yourself to a certain point and then you get to recover. And it, and it does get hard. It does get to that point, but having that coach or the support system through a group will help you get through those rough patches. For sure. And you know, at the end of the day, you also need to ask yourself, are you enjoying it? Do you like it? Do you like your plan? Do you like your, your coach? Do you like your group coaching? Because if you do, then chances are you're going to stick to it. And sticking to it will give you that consistency, which for training and results is key. Yeah, absolutely. And don't confuse hard or difficult with I hate it. Because if, if every training I, – I know one person, he calls himself a coach. I'm not sure what he does, but he calls himself a coach. Um, and it's, he has the unicorn plan, basically. You know, everything's fun and light and easy. And, not surprisingly, nobody has good results, and they all are <laughs> dead at the end of races because they're they're undertrained, they're undercooked, they're not prepared, and it's just a miserable experience for them. But um, but but you know, it's all a lot of fun and really easy. There's never a hard workout in there. So just make sure your 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 coach, your group is balancing that because you have to have hard workouts to get the hard work to get to where you want. But it shouldn't you shouldn't wake up more mornings not going, oh God, I don't want to do this today. If you are, yeah. you need to reevaluate evaluate what you're doing. And that's, shoot, that goes for everything. That's work, work and training. True. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we've just got one more topic um, here in the lab, a little bit of in the feed zone taste. Uh, I know um, Coach Andrea Collins is not here with us today, but a, um, an article did come across um, my desk here about a couple um, fun substitutions for high energy foods on um, for endurance cycling. Um, it comes from the Wahoo Fitness blog. Um, I will share the link here, um, but just wanted to quickly touch on and maybe just have a quick conversation if any of our coaches have um, prescribed um, any of these or enjoy some of these um, high energy foods. And so we'll start at the top, kind of more simple things. Um, we'll start off with um, the recommendation of using bananas. All of us have probably done this. It's a, typically a pretty great source of potassium, complex carbohydrates, um, and even up to like 30 grams of carbs. Um, so if you are able to kind of squeeze this in your pocket along with everything else, um, I think I recently saw on Instagram a new um, uh, water bottle holder that goes on the down tube that actually holds a banana and a bottle. If, <laughs> so you, uh, <laughs> if you want to see something very funny with a banana, watch the last 10K of the Ironman World Championships from this last year. And nice. Patrick Longay has uh, he's uh -huh. got special pockets inside his kit. Yeah. And so you like got a water. It's like people started making memes and jokes about it. Like, what else is he gonna pull out? Because he reaches inside his shirt and pulls things out. Yeah. Well, his, his banana fell out of the pocket and went down into the short part. Oh, oh jeez, oh jeez. Oh, he reached down into his shorts and pulled out his banana and started eating it. So there was a lot of jokes about that. Yeah, I I don't know how long. I think I typically eat this banana in the first hour of a ride because I don't think it'll last two or three hours in my pocket. I feel like it gets smashed along with everything else, but it is a good um, you know go to ride. Um, and really, really just talking about using more real food. And this is a conversation that we've had here on the 
you know, on the podcast, just making sure you have those options and you kind of reach for those options. Our next one was nuts and seeds. Um, these are things like almond seeds, chia seeds, um, and these sort of things. They did do give a little bit of a carbohydrate count. Um, they are a little bit on the lower side, but for your longer rides, having a little bit of protein, um, and as Coach Andre was saying, making sure you have vitamins and your antioxidants, <laughs> and to make sure that you get those, especially on a longer ride, can be very, very useful. So adding a little nut and seed mix, um, if you are having a stop or a break, uh, could be a nice mix versus kind of all the soft juice and chews. Um, and it is a balance because, you know, you know, on um, the recent holiday, um, the rides uh, that typically we have stops on and, um, you know, we have a time to chat. Everyone was just on the throttle because all the roads are closed. You're not getting that stop to eat kind of more whole food. And I was hope I should have brought in more um, kind of like liquid food. Um, but in fact, I brought kind of more solid food. So I was hanging over my bars trying to get food in while I was hanging off the back of the draft. <laughs> so you just kind of need to plan for what you have coming up. And on that, you know, things like dried fruit, dried mangoes, dried cranberries, um, raisins, things like that are nice and a nice mix and could be as effective as some of our chews and goos and things like that. So take these on training rides, give them a try, make sure um, that they work for you and that you can handle them and kind of eat them at pace. It's super, super important. Um, it had a topic or, or uh, one of the suggestions of electrolyte infused in water. I would say more so making sure that you have electrolytes overall and make sure your hydration is on point, meaning you've gotten your 4%, um, 4 to 6% on the lower side, making sure you're not having too much carbohydrates um, in there, making sure you're getting hydrated um, versus fueled. Um, but if you are getting fueled, making sure you have enough fuel in that bottle to make sure that you are getting fueled, not kind of teetering this middle ground, um, and then try that to make sure you don't get uh, any gut distress. Um, the last one is home energy, homemade energy bars um, and different things, at least on this. And you can combine a couple different things, you know, a lot of us have been um, raving and putting out pictures of our rice cakes and things like that. Um, white rice, great source as a base of different things that you can put together. I think Taya um, in the last week did like sort of sort of an almond butter and jelly um, at um, an event that I just had. If um, you were following along on, on our um, Facebook and media sources, um, I had a party where we did um, a bunch of um, savory and sweet cakes. Um, so we did the coconut blueberry and then the egg and bacon, which are all really good um, sources of um, sources of drinks, uh, sources, sources of food different and mixing it up between sweet and savory can be very useful. Um, and simple things. Um, so some of the coaches have jumped into our notes here, um, mostly Ian, as you could tell, as, I, <laughs> as I'll read down the list. Um, he's got cookies, simple hand, handheld things, and these are nice, you know, breaking them up into four pieces, having that nice treat, the thing that you, um, you kind of really savor or kind of want. Um, cinnamon strudel swirl cakes. I don't know where you'd store that unless he's pulling a trailer. I'm not sure where that's that going. That would be for the stop <laughs> when you have to stop the coffee shop. Yeah, absolutely. Loving that swirl cake. Um, and then uh, mini orange scones that, um, you know, these, these are things that you can go for. A lot of times people will reward themselves kind of after. Um, but if you guys have got to stop off, um, in the middle of a nice long ride, um, treating yourself to something that you would... Um, would 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 like to enjoy i think can help um i think you are on the side of um you know your body is you know burning fuel and is insulin sensitive so you can have those um you know with you um and red bull um you know i don't see <laughs> you know i have heard a lot of stories of, of people kind of um going at this um the latest story was um a group of uh of writers at um was it of oh, cdr just all about energy drinks and red bull and i think it could definitely be overdone um uh, but um for for some of the longer stuff ian like 
how does this compare to like um, doing like just straight caffeine coke? Are people replacing this with like Red Bull on your experience for those the longer ride, uh, the longer um, competitions? Or where where do you see this being utilized? Well, so actually during an Ironman or Iron Distance race, I will uh, I'll take in Red Bull. And when I did uh, Ironman Texas, I made a mistake. I went Red Bull early. The only yeah. problem with Red Bull is you go early, you got to keep it going, and yeah, it's just rough on the body um, yeah. after a while. But the nice part about it is you do get a sugar, you do get some caffeine, and you do get some electrolytes in there, and you get vitamin B, vitamin B. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it is beneficial, but you, you you have to get used to it a little bit, and you, you definitely have to take it with in moderation, and you need to plan to do it. Now, I I will say that you know when you're 16 miles, 18 miles into the marathon, um, and you're just dragging. Red Bull, it gives you wings, man. It will pick you yeah. up. It is, uh, it is a mood enhancer to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, it will help you out. So I highly recommend it for if you're really dragging in the, in the end of a race. Um, it is a little more challenging on a bike to drink it. I, I don't really necessarily recommend it too much yeah. um, because you have to carry it in your pocket and it gets warm. Uh, but if you're at a place that has it and you're like on a long Fondo or a uh, long yeah, hey. ride, they're hot. They're, they're definitely good, and you can get it down quick. Um, there's something about that can that allows you to pound that down really fast. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I do like it. Um, you do see some athletes. Uh, I know Lucy Charles, um, she use, utilizes it in her training and her racing. And, I mean, you can't really knock what she did in Kona last year, taking second. Yep, no, um, not so, at all. Yeah, it's, but it is one of those things. It's, it's like a gel. It, it does give you this, a similar effect of a gel as far as, you know, that energy burst, that, that rush that's going to come on. So try and use it when you when you it, it's you got to have energy and you got to have it now don't don't use it for that long sustained energy yeah and the yeah. other thing to keep in mind too is um not a lot will be absorbed and get in your system in the last hour so having something like that even though it's liquid form or a gel in the last 30 minutes probably not going to do anything for you it might be mm-hmm. more of a psychological boost though right Right, right. So if if you are putting this in the plan, you know, getting it in, you know, 30 plus, 60 plus minutes in before that end is, is where it's going to be most effective. Um, that's Ian's talking like 16 miles, you know, um, into the run. You know, they've got a good, what, 10 plus miles left there yeah. and finish there. So that's where that's where you're going to see it kind of affect you in that last couple miles and give you that give you that boost. So, okay. Yeah, definitely. I don't have too much experience with it, um, either with or without the vodka, as, as the notes show here. I've never tried it. I never had the guts <laughs> um, to try it, to be honest. It's 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 pretty much just like, um, you know, uh, mainlining the alcohol to the blood system because it carries the caffeine and the sugar. Um, so in the combination, it, it, it leads for really high and fast highs, but really fast lows, from what I understand. So... Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, and with with the way alcohol works and it's di- it's um kind of digested and first digested, um it uh, it provides a huge burst of energy along with the caffeine. So um you know people enjoy it just because it's just you just feel feel so so energetic. The problem is that at the end of it all, um you end up being really dehydrated, um in in the sense. So but oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Just so making sure you got that covered. So, but yeah, some really five, uh, some really um, interesting conversation just about different energy foods. Um, a lot of us just think, you know, gel after gel, block after block, um, and that what you, you can eat, but you can tune it for different things. Training rides versus gravel rides versus road rides versus climbing rides. Think of what you have. Um, you know, there's always going to be things that work, but not everything is like, um, you know, a gold medal a competition. So try different things, you know, enjoys different things. And when you have a chance to stop, 
It's not a chance to be like, oh no, I'm not gonna have anything. Enjoy yourself, indulge, have a good time. That's why we ride the bike, to get outside and have a good time. All right. So um, as we get here towards the end of Coach's Corner, um, we just wanna remind everybody, we've got um, a great week coming up. Um, so we're, we're gonna go back into the swing of things. Uh, we had a week or here, week or two here of some intensity. Um, I've had a peek at the workouts, and man, it is going to be a fun week. So take a look at those plans, um, and make sure you've got those planned for, and um, try some of these fueling, uh, fueling things. And if you get outdoors, um, make sure you practice a couple of those things. Get yourself into an um, uncomfortable situation, um, and then lean on the forum uh, as as you find your as you find your why, as you find your. Um, is this working for me? And is this plan working for me? Um, you'll know <laughs> this next two weeks, this final two weeks, you'll see these workouts. Um, if you looked at them the first week, um, the first couple weeks, they would have looked pretty impossible. But after this VO2 work that you've done, this longer, shorter sprints, all this combination has culminated into some of these combination workouts that I think uh, you're really going to find yourself um, enjoying. Um, I think we're going to hear that as well as challenging um, for, for us. So. Um, Atea, do we have anything else on the horizon that we need to bring up for um, our listeners and the lab? No, that should be it. Just as always, keep your eyes on the forum for uh, the videos explaining the workouts. Excellent. And for Ian, um, what's your timetable look like for um, travel coming up for your competition? We want to wish you luck. Um, just wanted to know kind of how, where you're at with that. Thanks. Yeah, I, uh, I fly out Sunday night to Denmark. And uh, so um, my plan is uh, I'll try to join you guys next Friday from uh, Odense. Nice. That's going to be awesome. So we'll love to hear. And then the actual race is that weekend after that then? Yeah, it's the 14th. And it's actually, I just got something um, on my email that is going to be streamed live on Facebook. Oh, that'll be awesome. We'll definitely need to share that um, in the forum and across our channels to make sure um, we see. Um, that's awesome. So good luck uh, for that. And I'm glad everything is starting to fall in place. And for all those lab writers, um, make sure you check back in the forum if you have any questions. Um, and I just want to thank everybody here for joining us today here in the Coach's Corner. If it's your first time listening and would like to hear more about the content um, that you're hearing today in the Endurance Lab, head over to your favorite podcast app, search the Endurance Lab, or head over to YouTube and search the same. And don't forget to click subscribe. For more information on when the next lib Lex Lab is, head over to the Endurance Lab.fit, where you can learn and you can join us to train smart, learn more, and get results.